The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. We got NFL Week 8 power rankings. We have MLB coverage, analytics, manalytics. We're going to talk about that. And we'll probably talk about some Netflix because we, we like to talk about Netflix. You listen to Sean and Sam on the Functional Sportsaholic. Sam, how you doing, buddy? What up, bro? Just trying to get through the week, man. Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday. Love Wednesdays. Love Wednesdays. Yeah. Um, get you know, over that hump, man. I hate Tuesdays. It's my least favorite day of the week. Really? Man. Tuesday and yeah, Monday's my Tuesdays, least favorite. Uh, I guess you got some juice coming into the weekend, though, right? Yeah. 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 Um, well, you know how it is. You know, we do the power rankings. We like to lead the show off with them. So, uh, as I always do, Sam, we'll have you mute out. I'll go through the power rankings, and we will bring you back on um, at that point. NFL Week 8 power rankings. Uh, that's right. So, we're about halfway through the season. I guess we're technically not there until the end of the week. But here's the deal a lot of these teams have played each other. Um, so, we have people that have beaten somebody above them in the rankings, um, below them in the rankings. And that's just what you're going to get because when you get so many moving pieces and so many moving parts, uh, some of the teams just all play each other. So, as I always do, I like to start with my screen of respect. Uh, I call this the two and the three loss screen because, look, they're, I like all these teams. I just couldn't fit them in and I'll tell you why. First I have the Indianapolis Colts. They were on a bye week. More of a victim of the bye week I think. Um, but my uh, my concern is still the same as before the bye week. I want to see the offense play a little bit better. I will say this. Phillip Rivers has looked a lot better and they're going to get some key pieces back on defense. So I think the Indianapolis Colts will be a playoff team. I just don't have them in the top 10 yet. I want to see them earn it in with their offense. The New Orleans Saints I think are probably, they probably be my 11th ranked team at this point. They're 4-2. and two. We haven't seen Mike Thomas, I, I, Michael Thomas, since like the first week of the season, they're going to be better and better. The last game they played, I thought they were very dominant against the run, uh, the run game, which I, you know, constantly always see with the New Orleans Saints. They're very good against the run. They force teams to be two dimensional. The team is improving. They just need to get a little bit healthier. I'm sure, you know, if you're a Saints fan, comment below. Tell me why they should be on the list, and more importantly, tell me who should be off the list. But uh, you know, you definitely have an argument. Cleveland Browns, you have an argument as well. Um, look, you know, my big concern here is Odell Beckham Jr. He gets injured. Um, you know, certainly the Browns come back. Baker Mayfield goes nuts, throws for five touchdowns, um, three of them to tight ends. So I know this team is going to be able to move the ball, but can they move it consistently? They're still going to have to deal with Pittsburgh and Baltimore again in their schedules. Can they do it against their division? Because I think they're going to need to split those games to outcompete some of these other teams for playoff spots. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, having a seventh seed this year completely helps. San Francisco 49ers at 4-3. and three. Um, You know, look, the 49ers, they started with some injuries. The defense, I think, went through an adjustment period as any team losing Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas in the same week. Come on. On top of that, they've had Debo Samuel only for like one or two games this year. He got a uh, hamstring pull. Raheem Mostert on the um, IR. You got uh, Jeff Wilson now on the IR. But the San Francisco 49ers keep winning. They had injuries last year in 2019, and they made the Super Bowl once their team got healthy. This team will get better. They are getting better. They have a lot of character, and their schedule gets a lot easier moving forward. They got some really ugly stuff out of the way for them. Meanwhile, a team like the Rams, they've gotten a lot of the easy schedule behind them, and their schedule gets a lot tougher. I think that you could say the same thing about the Cardinals and the Seahawks within their own division. Huge matchup this week. If San Francisco wins, they will be in the top 10. 
Lastly, the Chicago Bears, who I put at number 10 last week. Um, the offense has got to get better. I, I'm a big uh, believer in this defense. I think their defense is elite. But look, I mean, you got to be able to score points in the NFL. There, there are offenses that will be able to put up points against this Bears defense. The Bears offense needs to keep up. And I haven't seen ev- any evidence that they can do that. So there's my screen of respect. Unfortunately, they didn't make the top 10 this week. But who did make the top 10? I'm going to start from 10 and then work my way to 1. Uh, number 10 on my list this week is the Buffalo Bills. I was very, very very close to pushing, putting them off the list and putting the Saints on. The only reason I kept the Bills on the list is because they have shown um, an ability basically to score a ton of points whenever they want to, and their defense has capacity, I think, to be a better defense than the New Orleans Saints defense. That was the team I was flirting with putting in at number 10. Um, look here, uh, Buffalo, every statistical and analytical category, the, the Bills defense is average, middle of the road in the NFL. It has to get better. It should get better, but it has to get better. This is a big matchup this week against the Patriots. This is a game that the Bills should win, and I think they should win it easily. And if they don't, I'm probably going to move them off this list into the screen of respect and put a team like the New Orleans Saints up there or or somebody else. Um, The Bills haven't been playing well, in my opinion, the last three weeks. Obviously, you lose to two incredible teams in the Titans and the Chiefs. I don't care too much about that. What concerned me more than anything was the win over the Jets. It was not convincing at all. I wanted to see the Bills win that game by 20 points. They couldn't even get the ball into the end zone. Eight field goal attempts, and they converted six of them. I think the Bills have to do better than that. Um, you know, we're talking about the top of the top, and they're a lot. Look at this list. When we get through it, um, the Bills are at number 10, and they're 5-2. and two. I mean, this is a very top-heavy NFL season this year, so there's a lot at the top, and the Bills have to, you know, their, their defense has to play how they're capable of playing. Number nine on this list, they actually, uh, the Buffalo Bills actually beat this team, so this is the first, like, hey, you know, Bills fans, hey, what are you doing? We beat this team. The Los Angeles Rams at 5-2. and two. Uh, The defense is playing well, and the offense plays well. Um, I've seen very good games from the Rams on both sides of the ball. Now, I guess the counter-argument is to that is four out of the five wins are against the NFC East and one of the wins the other one um, the fifth win was this past weekend against the Bears team that just can't score the ball so like I said you know the Rams uh, schedule is going to get more difficult to close the year but as Bill Parcells would say you are what your record says you are I'm more convinced that the Los Angeles Rams are playing better football right now um, than the Buffalo Bills the Buffalo Bills were playing elite football I think it was week three week four when they beat the Rams um, I think the Rams are playing better now, so I'm going to move them up in the rankings. Bills fans, Rams fans, why don't you comment below? Tell me what you think about um, that game and that matchup, um, because that was a heck of a game uh, those two teams played earlier in the season. Number eight on my list, the Arizona Cardinals coming off their victory over the Seattle Seahawks. They go into a bye week second in the very tough NFC West. Um, and uh, yes, it, their, their second place, Seattle now has a game against the San Francisco 49ers, and the 49ers are playing very good football. If the 49ers win that game, then Arizona on tiebreakers moves into first place with a 5-2 and two record even on a bye. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's fun to see. It's fun to see their, uh, you know, their offense doing what they do. But don't sleep on this defense. Vance Joseph has them playing incredible football. They had a great comeback against Seattle. Now, do you see Russell Wilson throw a crucial interception in overtime often? No, but the Cardinals made it happen. Congratulations to the Cardinals. It took them two field goal attempts to get that victory, but they got it nonetheless. Uh, number seven on this list is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 5-2. and two. Now, the Buccaneers talk about teams that can play and win uh, win games ugly. You know, they can win a 9-6 to six game if they have to with that defense, and they can win a shootout, a 45-38 to 38 type game with their offense. They are really, really good. 
they've been getting better. Now, they dropped a game to the Saints um, the first week of the season when Tom Brady and, and the wide receivers, they couldn't get on the same page that week. Uh, they lost a game, a tough game to Chicago. Um, that was the game where Tom Brady, you know, thought it was third down when it was actually fourth down. Those are the two losses. Those are two pretty good losses, in my opinion. And then they've come out in the last couple of weeks, and they've destroyed the Raiders and the Green Bay Packers. And the Green Bay Packers, by the way, are ahead of them on this list. Buccaneers fans are going to take issue with that. Comment below. Tell me why they should be outside of just that one game. And I'll explain why I have the Packers ahead of them in just a second. But back to the Buccaneers. Look, there's only a handful of teams right now whose defense and offense looks dominant at times. And the last couple of weeks, the Tampa Bay um, Buccaneers have been putting both together at the same time, and they've just blown, been blown the doors off a team. So Tampa Bay, they were on the screen in respect last week. This week, I moved them and elevate them to number seven. Really, um, I think you can make a really strong argument to put them at number six or even higher. But for right now, I have them at seven. Number six is the Green Bay Packers, one of the teams that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers blew out. And the reason I'm putting the Packers up there is a, a couple things. One, Tampa Bay Buccaneers were coming off that bad loss to the Chicago Bears, okay? And they were uniquely pissed off in that game. Meanwhile, um, you know, the Green Bay Packers, everything had broken right for the Green Bay Packers at that point in the season. Um, they come out, they, uh, they try to run the ball. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers stopped the run as usual, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were crashing, crashing up. Finally, some defense does it. They crash up on Devontae Adams. They force a couple of interceptions from Aaron Rodgers. Um, one is a pick six. One they take down to the two or three yard line score and a couple plays later, I believe. That doesn't happen a lot. You take those two interceptions away from Aaron Rodgers, which I'm telling you, over the last 10 to 20 years or 10 to 15 years, he just doesn't do that often. Um, and Tom Brady, by the way, doesn't forget what down it is often either, right? So I'm, I'm not freaking out about either one of those. That game, without those two critical interceptions, is a much closer game. Um, and then, you know, because Tampa Bay was blowing the doors off of Green Bay early, they had to kind of move away from Aaron Jones in the run game. I don't think that Aaron Jones is going to get to like four, maybe even three yards per carry, but even just having the ability to be um, two-dimensional instead of one-dimensional would have made a difference. So long story short, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you proved it on the field. I get it. I, if I was a Buccaneers fan, I'd be like, hey, come on, man, you're an idiot because we just blew them, blew the doors off them two weeks in a row. I'm just going to say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had it going and they were uniquely motivated in that game. And the Green Bay Packers, you know, they just couldn't adjust. Um, but I think if they played again this week, that would be a different game. And they be pretty even there and in all the other games this year the Tampa uh, the Green Bay Packers have looked great and Tampa Bay Buccaneers um you know I just think the the quality of performance throughout the season has been higher even though the Green Bay Packers had the loss so I don't do this often so um even as I'm talking right now I'm kind of convincing myself to rank the Buccaneers ahead of the Packers but just let me have it um everybody just comment below tell me what you think Tennessee Titans Five and one are my number five team. They lose to uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They come back. What I really loved, I was more encouraged in this loss than I've than I've been even in some of the victories for the Tennessee Titans. They their defense finally showed up in the second half. I've been waiting for this defense to show up. They finally put it together. Now, a couple weeks ago, Pittsburgh's defense was kind of reeling. They weren't playing great. They came up against the Cleveland Browns, and they absolutely shut the Cleveland Browns down. Then the Pittsburgh Steelers played the Tennessee Titans, and they absolutely blow the doors off the Titans, And I, at least in the first half of that football game. Um, the Tennessee Titans, finally, they give us a half. So I think what's going to happen this week, they play the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are an underrated offense. I know their record isn't great, but their offense is, is quite uh, doing quite well. I believe the Tennessee Titans defense has finally showed up. So I think they're actually going to move back up this list, but I still have them as a top five team. I like them quite a bit. Number four, the Seattle Seahawks coming off that loss to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, look, you know, Russell Wilson, 
Uh, if he doesn't throw that pick, they're 6-0, and and they're probably number one in my power rankings. The big question for Seattle is, when is this defense going to get better? I just mentioned the Tennessee Titans finally showed up defensively. Um, I believe Diggs is still injured in the secondary there. I'm waiting for him to be back. I don't really feel like that whole team has been healthy, and that whole defensive unit has been healthy since maybe week one. I think the Seattle Seahawks defense will get better, but the offense is out of this world. Russell Wilson is my NFL MVP to this point in the season. They're in my number four team. Number three, the Baltimore Ravens. I moved them ahead of the Seattle Seahawks this week because, look, their defense is is the number one defense in the league in terms of scoring, um, you know, points allowed. Their offense is top 10. I think they're number eight or nine or something like that, maybe even number six. I don't know, but they are top 10 in their offense in terms of points scored. The big question for Baltimore is always, can you play from behind? I know that if they take a lead, they're probably the hardest team to beat in football, but if they fall behind by two scores, um, they're in some jeopardy. Can they come back and close that gap? Over the last two seasons, Lamar Jackson, maybe even two and a half. Um, well, let's say two, right? Because we're halfway through this season. He played a half season two years ago. Over the two seasons, I haven't really seen Lamar Jackson come back and you know from behind. Like if you're down by 20 points in the first half, are you coming back? Are you slinging the ball downfield? I don't know. The Des Bryant um, signing to me probably isn't going to be impactful, but I think it was a great move to at least try because they need something. Um, This Baltimore Ravens team needs something, and I'm thinking specifically it's 15 uh, yards down the field and and beyond. I also would like to see more Devin DuVernay um, on the opposite side of Marquise Brown, so you got speed on both sides of the ball, um, both sides of the field, I should say. Um, That pushes things vertically. That opens more stuff up for Boyle and Andrews, and of course it opens stuff stuff up in the run game. Huge test this, uh, this week, though. They played the Pittsburgh Steelers, winner of that game might be number one on my list next week um with respect to number two on my list right now the kansas city chiefs who um i'm not sure if they head into it no they play the jets so it's safe to say the jet or the the chiefs are going to be seven and one after this week uh the kansas city chiefs um you know their loss to the raiders was kind of a surprise to everybody but here's the deal is the kansas city chiefs when they're motivated they're hard to beat i think they've slept walked through most of this season and they're six and one um, they play their best games against the best opponents. They really didn't give the Buffalo Bills or the, um, was it the Tennessee Titans? No, it was the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they didn't give those two very good teams much of a chance to win. Um, and I think when the playoffs start, they're going to be a tough team to beat. But the number one team on my list, the Pittsburgh Steelers, could do it because I think the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense is better than the Kansas City Chiefs' defense. Even though the Kansas City Chief, uh, Chiefs' defense, I think it's overlooked because of how good the offense is. Um, you know, the, the the Chiefs' defense, when they're playing at their best, I don't think they're as good as the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense when they're playing at their best. Offenses, now I think the Kansas City Chiefs' offense is certainly better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I don't think it's that wide of a gap. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a high capacity to score points, and they can force force a lot more turnovers on defense than usual. Um, you know, I really think that these are the two best teams maybe in the league. Well, I have them ranked as number numbers one and two in my power rankings. So I do think they're the best two teams in the league. I think this is our AFC uh, championship game matchup, depending on how you know the playoff seeding works out and all that. I think they're the best two teams. I think we're going to get them. But hey, Baltimore and Pittsburgh play each other this week. If Baltimore handles Pittsburgh, then you have an argument on your hands. So um, I love the top three in the AFC. The NFC West is the creme de la creme um, in terms of top to bottom in the division. All these teams, um, to me, are in the top 12 of the NFL. Uh, so it's got a, it's 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 going to be an interesting finish. A lot of really good teams in the NFL. Uh, so there you go. There's the power rankings. Tell me, like, comment, subscribe. Comment below. Tell me who you think should be in, who I should pull off the list. Give me your top five as well. Who do you think your top five teams are? I'd love to see it. I'd love to read it. And uh, thanks for watching. We'll catch you again soon. Thank you.
All right, and we are back with Sam. But before we really get rolling um, on the rest of the show here, I want to talk about our friends at Coors Light. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? And how do you like to hit that reset button and get ready for what's next? I can tell you how I do it. I crack into a Coors Light. I've been doing it. We've been doing housework. That's stressful. I've been trying to, uh, you know, basically just make more money to pay for the housework. That's been stressful. So what do I do every night? About 8.30, when I finally kind of sit down and, and relax with my wife, what do we do? We, we crack open that Coors Light. How about you, Sam? Buddy, it's still about 100 degrees here in Florida, so you know that Coors Light <laughs> is feeling good at the end of the night. Yeah, you know what? I tell you what, even uh, even in Chicago, where uh, Chicago land anyway, where the weather is turning, um, that cold that cold mountain refreshment, baby, it's 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 good anytime. I don't care if it's cold. I don't care if it's hot. But I'm sure it's actually very, very, uh, very refreshing in hot weather. But look, Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sport is on this fall, Saturdays are your time to chill. Even if your team isn't playing this year, there's still plenty of teams and sports on TV that give you the excuse to chill and drink a beer. It doesn't matter what sport is playing. Coors Light is the official beer, I love this, of watching any sport or any team just to drink beer. So flip through the channels, find a sport, and crack open a Coors Light. Again, everyone, Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you get ready to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in a new look delivered straight to your door. You got to love the delivery. It's get.coorslight.com. You go online, get.coorslight.com. And you can get that beer delivered. Everybody, once again, drink responsibly. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So, Sam, yeah, man, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers overtake the the number one um, Seattle Seahawks, man. We, what we've been seeing is the, the top teams are losing, you know. And, you know, yeah. no, nobody's going to go undefeated. But Seattle, that was a little bit – I wouldn't say it was a bad loss. It was a painful loss because Russell Wilson – you know, he, he's playing the kind of football that can lead to an undefeated season. And um, you don't really see him um, kind of screw the pooch, <laughs> you right. could say. I mean, he threw that interception uh, in overtime. That never happens. But, you know, to be fair, Arizona, they missed a field goal that would have won the game. Um, then Russell Wilson gets the ball. He throws the interception. Uh, then Arizona, they, they hit the field goal, and they win the game. So, you know, it is what it is. But Pittsburgh overtakes, and their defense is balling out right now. I don't like how they finish the game against the Titans, but that's how the Titans play. They, they always play well from behind. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of teams, man. It's top-heavy. You don't really see this in the NFL too often with a bunch of 5-1, and 6-1 and one teams and a bunch of, like, 1-6 and six teams. But you're... Yeah, I know. I watched that. I actually watched that Steelers-Titans game. That was um, sick, man. That was a good game. Yeah, yeah, it was a really good game. And I really wanted to see Derrick Henry because I haven't really seen him play too much. Obviously, mm. I picked a bad game to really yeah. judge him on because, you know, the Steelers, Pittsburgh right. defense um, pretty – pretty much made him look normal um but what a specimen that guy is i mean what yeah. an absolute beast you know what kills me about the titans is they never um i mean it's just not their philosophy but they just don't throw the ball to him yeah like they um for the first like four years of his career in fantasy football i would always be soured on him because it was you know the previous coaching staff and they would always get like Deion lewis integrated in the passing game which means they would use derrick henry for the first two downs and then bring on Deion lewis and it would just it would just drive me crazy, you know? And I don't mind, like, I don't mind when you bring a running back on to, to keep a guy fresh. But when, right. as an offensive philosophy, when you have that talented of a guy and your offensive philosophy is, hey, every third down we're going to bring that talented guy off the field and put an inferior guy in. It's madness to me. And so, yeah. 
and I am a proponent of like a of a, like a one third work split. You know, bring in a guy, give him a spell, give him a carry. You know, once a drive, twice a drive, or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm cool with that. But when your role is to always bring the guy off the field, not only them, but in um, in like five yards and back inside the red zone, you you take that guy off the field. Are you kidding me? It's just right. you know. But that, those guys got fired, and once this new coaching staff came in, they started using Derrick Henry on third downs too. Um, and there was a season or two, maybe it was last year, where they they were using him in the screen game a little bit more. And he has fine hands, and when he catches the ball, he takes it seventy five yards. Throw more screen <laughs> passes. They're gimmies. Yeah. But um, not that you could screen against the Pittsburgh Steelers because their linebackers are too fast. But it's it, it, they they need to. I mean, they should use him more because they're gimme yards for for Derrick Henry. Yeah, but anyway, almost like a almost they'll use him like a tight end. <laughs> yeah, you know, type thing. Just yeah, just. yeah. He's so. What I saw too, it, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know. It was one of the games that the Titans were losing, and they come back and they close the gap because that's just what the Titans have been doing all year. And they give him a carry. And he gets into the open field, and he's so big that he doesn't look fast. But when you see him in the open field and these small, fast defensive backs and safeties and all stuff, and they're trying to catch him, and he's running away from them, right? It's just you don't you don't see athletes like that everywhere. You just don't. Yeah. yeah. This is why we're never going to compete in soccer in the World Cup in the U.S. <laughs> because our athletes are playing in the NBA and they're playing in the NFL. You know? You've been saying that for a long time. If LeBron James had decided at a, as a three-year-old that soccer was going to be his thing, we'd be winning the World Cup. You tell me you're going to guard LeBron James on a corner kick when he's trying to put a header into the corner mm-hmm. of the net? Give me a break. You could, I mean, take take any 20 guys from the NBA that are 6'8 and blistering fast. Mm-hmm. Take any wide receiver in the NFL that's you know six five and blistering fast, and their skill, their athletic skill, is just that they don't use their feet, right? So if if we had a program, and really what it is, if we had a professional soccer league that paid as much as the NBA or the NFL, right, we're gonna see people go um, go there. So it's it's about the money, and fairly so, I would say. Mm-hmm. I also don't understand why the U.S. Soccer Association. Why they're so bad about creating programs in the inner city? Like, why don't they set up charter schools? I mean, right. that's what Barcelona. I mean, that's essentially what they do. It's like a charter or a private school where all it is is they bring in the best soccer uh, players from that they can find. They they give them school. They're on a tuition, and they just have a, a mass. And that's why they're always churning out like the best talent because right. they have a program like a kids program. I don't understand why the U.S. doesn't do that because what we do with charter schools and private schools in this country already, um, like you could do some really good things for some communities academically, which I think is crucially important. But on top of that, you get paid off too because you're creating nonstop talent. Like why don't the MLS – shoot, why don't NFL and MLB teams do this? It's it's a win-win for everybody. I don't understand why right. they don't do it. It's wild. Yeah. Speaking of, might see that stuff in the future, but yeah, well, we'll see. Nobody, can, everybody's got their heads and their butts in this country, yeah. so I don't have any, I don't have any faith in anything. Um, speaking of uh, of MLB and heads and butts, so the uh, the Dodgers finally won the World Series. I guess I got my pick right. Um, I picked the Dodgers to win the World Series. I actually picked them to win over the the um, Cleveland Indians. Although when the Indians traded their like their second best pitcher in the middle of the season. I didn't understand why they did that. Um, you know, I, I kind of cooled on that prediction. Uh, but you know, the Dodgers won. They've been kind of trying to break through for a while. Um, 
And they did, so congrats to them. But we're in game six, and Blake Snell, um, who of all the of all the, the people named Blake, he might be the best athlete. He might be the best <laughs> athlete named Blake. Is there another what about one? Blake Griffin? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Blake Snell. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he's performing better than Blake Griffin is now. Athlete, though? Maybe, like... I don't know about that. Okay, the best, the best, highest performing sportsman named Blake. Current, currently, currently. Okay, Blake. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, then he's I'll taking give that it mantle there. Yeah. Give it so we can there. agree. That's this is what this this country should be about, Sam. It's finding the common ground. Okay. All right. Uh, but I you were gonna say like all time and like no, there's got to be other Blakes. Like, yeah, there's got to be another Blake somewhere around there. Um, Blake Shelton. Blake Shelton. <laughs> Blake. Congrats to him and uh, Gwen Stefani for getting engaged. He's trying to place who Blake Shelton was. I'm proud to say I didn't immediately get there. Mm. Um, so anyways, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, I think he's he's dealing, right? And I wasn't watching the game, but I was kind of plugged into ESPN. I was like, oh, how's this going? Um, he was like throwing, I think he had a two-hit shutout or something through five innings. And what does it do? The analytics. The analytics tell me that a third time facing the Dodgers lineup is bad. So I'm going to put a shitty pitcher in. Right. Because the analytics tell me is just the most stupid thing. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know what it is? It's a bunch of people, in my opinion, that aren't really educated trying to apply high level statistics. And right. what ends up happening is the NFL, we're seeing analytics kind of break in. And what happens is, is I was talking to Baseball Ulama today about this because we were, we were just chatting about it before the show. Um, Look, you know, people will tell me, and what will end up happening is the internet will say, the analytics say this, the analytics say that. To which I always reply, the analytics only work if you're applying them correctly. It's not the correct application of the analytics in a lot of places. And I'll give you an example of the NFL example. We're seeing teams that are down six, they score the touchdown, and they, they're tied, like late in the game, and they'll go for two when they could just kick the extra point and go up one. That has happened multiple times this season. What are you doing? win the game right analytically speaking over the course of a full season if an nfl head coach says we will go for two 100 percent of the time over the course of the season we will score x amount more points that's what the analytics say the analytics don't aren't saying hey if you're tied with four minutes left in the game kick the extra point kick the extra right. point Right, and here's the thing too. If you used to have all these people start playing the analytics, well, then the analytics are going to get screwed up it, because that, then it's not it's not a it's not a true it's not a true representation. Rating. Right, 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 right. Think about it this way: this, that that scenario, you know, the extra point versus a two point conversion. If you're in the NBA and you're um, you're shooting a free throw, you don't just walk to the three point line and shoot the three uh, you know free throw from the three point line like maybe some teams would do it actually they probably would they probably would but i don't think steve kerr if the game is tied with 4 seconds left in the game would have steph curry walk back 8 paces to take a three pointer if that was a rule in the nba you take the free throw you take the free point now in the mlb I mean, it's all analytics in the mlb now and i think what happens is the computer people you get your print out before the game and you have an analytical game plan. And what 
what doesn't correspond, and it's been driving me crazy for as long as we've been doing this podcast and before him, analytics are measured in the regular season. They're regular season analytics. They do not apply to the postseason. Why don't they apply? Because there's a human component inside the brain. It's called adrenaline. Some people get better with adrenaline. Some people get worse with adrenaline. That is also measurable. It's measurable. Some people rise to the occasion. Some people stay standard or like stay flat, and some people um, you know decrease. For years, the best teams in the league in the regular season, you know, particularly best offenses in the league, they end up screwing up in the postseason because. Um, the offense doesn't show up against the pitching matchups because a lot of times, like, you know, take um, the Arizona Diamondbacks versus the New York Yankees way back when, uh, they just rode Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling as long as they could ride him. The Boston Red Sox, when they went on their first run with, um, they had Schilling and they had Pedro Martinez, you ride them until your starter is showing signs of wear. Snell was befuddling the, New- the, the Los Angeles Dodgers, absolutely dominating the game. And he gets pulled before any sign of trouble. What happens is the first batter, the replacement pitcher, um, throws double. You have the best lineup in baseball, analytically speaking or otherwise. The best lineup top to bottom in baseball, and you're putting inferior pitching in that lineup because the stats tell you to do that and where the stats measured the regular season. It's unbelievable that they do this. It's not management. It's, It's just... It's awful. And this is what the funny thing is, is that's what Dave Roberts, he's cost them two World Series prior to this because he's done exactly that. And finally, Dave Roberts had his equal in terms of stupidity. So he, he was finally, he was finally, um, you know, given that World <laughs> Series. They gave it to him. Right. And good for the Dodgers. I'm happy for the Dodgers and their fans because they've been, you know, of course, the, the Houston Astros cheated. On one of those World Series, and uh-huh. I think the Red Sox, if I remember correctly, I thought they blew them away, but that could have been a seven-game series. Honestly, I don't even remember. Um, they've had some tough losses in the playoffs and stuff, but uh, it's just wild to me, Sam. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we were kids the last time the Dodgers won, and I actually, I remember, I, I think my dad was traveling or something. Oral Hershiser. Yeah, my dad got me a hat with like you know the like. Commemorative thing on the side for in '88, so I have a picture of me wearing like a Dodgers hat um, <laughs> when I was a kid. But um, yeah, a long time. I mean, obviously happy. I mean, two championships now for uh, the Los Angeles fan base. And, yeah, this year, you know, yeah. You'll, you start to see a lot of a lot more uh, Dodgers fans pop up um, this time of you know, this time of the year when yeah. they start uh, doing well. But that's the way it is. You know, you go to a, any kind of game and the Lakers are playing, you're going to see more Lakers jerseys there than anywhere. So it's kind of funny how those teams have just kind of become transcendent across the country, because I think a lot of it it has to do with, um, you know, uh, who was on TV, Mm. you know, uh, there's a lot of, that was a big, big market for teams that were on TV all the time, you know, Showtime Lakers and the, the Dodgers of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's just kind of teams that have been, you know, just kind of handed down, you know, throughout, yeah, right. throughout uh, the time. So, yeah, I mean, happy for them. But, yeah, the Rays definitely uh, definitely blew it there um, to at least force a at – le- at least put their, put their, you know, put their hand to the to the fire. At least they, they, they could have at least gotten to 
uh, game seven, I think. Yeah, know? it's um, you know, it's interesting to me talking about analytics and sports and the NFL and all that. And, and, and yes, I understand that if you go for two over time, you will score more points. But, guy, I mean, the, the, why not just have a computer tell you what to do? Why even have head coaching? Tell, have the computer say what play should be run. You know, like, right. it, what, what's the point? There's a, you cannot accurately measure. The human brain is too complex to, to measure. And the NFL, by the way, you know, you got 11 on 11. There's so many different factors that go into it. You could have the perfect play called if your center trips over his feet and you get an interior rush then your your 70 yard pass downfield isn't going to work like you there are you know there are things that you can't measure and playoff atmosphere is one of those things like you, right. we've i don't understand how this isn't obvious to everybody i don't understand why the why the scientists are so so <laughs> so insistent that the analytics are comparable between regular season and postseason it is it just isn't it isn't well, yeah, especially, I mean, it doesn't take into factors, humidity, anything like that. So a guy could pull weather, a cramp. Yeah. Yeah. Weather. I mean, so I think everyone just, you know, and I actually watched Moneyball last week mm. um, and that kind of, that, that, that seemed to be kind of the start of the whole analytics yeah, right. thing. But also if you do watch that movie, you realize that, you know, Billy Bean really had no choice, yeah. but to go and field the team with no money. Um, so that's, was his way of like, all right, we need to compete. So let's go get a team. You know, it, it's a little bit different. You yeah. know, I don't think if Billy Bean had a, had a big payroll, I don't think he would, have he would have shipped, you know, uh, Giambi and some of these other guys, you know, he, he had to clear up space and, you know, yeah, the big polar shift for the, the Oakland A's back then. Um, and I guess this move to, to analytics is what they started doing differently is, they really started trying to calibrate walks. Um, before that, I mean, it, se- it seems obvious now, but before that, MLB people, they were enamored with people that had home run power, um, and they, ha- they were enamored with people with strikeout power as pitchers. And so right. they're always looking for these, you know, quote-unquote, these five-tool players and stuff, these athletes. But what Billy Bean and, and the A's and, like, the Moneyball stuff started looking at was guys that can get on base... Um, more often than not, right? And so, like, right. so they started valuing people that were able to to take walks instead of strikeouts when they weren't getting hits in their average, you know, with, like, and the outs they were taking, by the way, were they putting the ball in play? Um, you know, if you hit the ball at a pop-up to right field, that's a lot better than a guy that hits a ground ball to the shortstop and, and gets a guy into a double play. And if you have a pitcher that, you know, is is throwing a lot of strikeouts, great, but is he walking a ton of batters and putting your bat, your team into bad situations? And so they were the first people to really start doing that, and then things got more and more, and now we see seven players like on the left side of the field when there's a pull hitter, and the pull hitter still tries to pull the ball instead of just trying to hit the ball. So you're losing some of the art behind this, and I guess the, the correlation in the NBA is players just chucking up three-pointers. You know, we don't see a lot of post-up anymore. We don't see a lot of the moves like you and I used to watch in the 90s, you know? Right. We see a lot of people chucking up three-pointers, and and I think that, and I think, you know, Major League Baseball guys, for some reason, if the whole right side of the field is open, you can't hit a ground ball to where the second base gap is and get on base, or you can't, you know, throw a bunt over and and get on base and and guys just aren't willing to do that anymore so um you know some of the art of baseball is gone and and to be honest with you i think if i'm a team 
you know, I do the, I still think Moneyball exists. And I think, I think it's, I think it's, I think that is tried and true. I mean, you want guys that can take walks mm-hmm. and get on base, but what I'm not doing is, you know, one of the, uh, what I call the Dodgers special or the, the Roberts special. I was again, talking to baseball Lama today, you know, in years past, like he would take like Cody Bellinger out of the lineup because like it would be the sixth inning and that, you know, the, the other team would put in a relief pitcher. And so he'd say, well, math and anal- here's the, the worst use of analytics. You have a printout, and the printout says my utility second baseman, who's a right-handed batter, is going to be you know fifty percent um, um, or fifty percentage points your batting average. Like maybe Cody Bellinger, you know, bats two hundred against this pitcher, and and your backup second baseman bats three hundred against this pitcher. So you're looking mm-hmm. at a ten percent chance increase in that one at bat. But what that does, if you look over the course of the game, and what I think these analytics do a really poor job of is, is situationally what you're doing is you're taking, you know, you're taking your, your castle off your chessboard or your queen off your chessboard in your batting matchups. So what that does, analytically speaking, is it gives the power to the other team because now you've removed that most valuable chip on your, uh, that most valuable piece on your chessboard mm-hmm. for the rest of the game. And there were time and time again where that that game would go into extra innings, and now you're stuck with this backup second baseman, you know, and now his percentage points is like now he's batting 100 against the next pitcher when Bellinger would have bat 300. You leave your stars in in some of these cases. Now, if it's situational, you need to hit, you need a base runner, and it's the ninth inning, and you need that run. I'm cool with that, but when you make that move too early, it takes you off the path of success, and you're giving chess pieces away. Right. And that's the improper use of analytics. You use it situationally. You help it make a decision. By the way, that's why my fantasy football almanac is better than everybody else's. Because you use the analytics, but there's some real-world component to it. Stop talking to me about how these chump David Montgomery is going to be the best running back because he's a <laughs> running back in Charles Nagy's system. He sucks. Look at the tape. He sucks. <laughs> you know, this is like, Sam, I'm getting beat up on YouTube from Bears fans. Because I, I keep coming down on David Montgomery. They keep telling me about how the blocking's bad and this and that. And they're making all these excuses for these guys. I'm like, dude. And they always say, watch the game. This is my complaint now. Watch the game. Watch the game. Sam, do you know anybody right. in the world that watches more football than I do? No, I don't. That doesn't make like, that isn't actually employed by like an ESPN or something like that. I watch the games. And because I watch the games, I know when players are good and I know when players are suck. Dave Montgomery sucks. Stop making excuses for him, man. Demand some accountability. He sucks. <laughs> he's not good. And then last year I said it about Marcus Mariota. He's not a good quarterback, everybody. Bench him. Put Tannehill in. And I got nailed for that. And when the Bears, you know, they'll draft, they'll have like some undrafted free agent next year just go crazy and everybody's going to love him. But that's the deal, man. Everybody always like, you're talking about analytics like they're the end-all be-all. Sometimes a player just sucks. And sometimes a player is just awesome. You leave the, the awesome players in because over time they're going to pay you off. Unless you're desperate. If you're desperate, then I'm okay with taking him out, you know? Putting a pinch runner in so he can steal a base so he can get the scoring position, you know, in the bottom of the ninth inning. I'm cool with that. But come on, guys. Anyway, there's my analytics rant. Got anything for the crowd? I, I did watch that Hill House, Sam. Finished yeah, it. you finished the whole first season? Finished it. It was nice. It was a nice story, as it turned out. It was nice. I thought it was actually uplifting by the end of it. Yeah, man, the, the the part in the the part in the car. Spoiler, she, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler. If you haven't seen it, it's like watch it. Like, but spoiler out. alert. So yeah. we're gonna we're gonna close the podcast out after this. So you can just turn the podcast off. But spoilers for Hill House on Netflix. Season man, one. The, the, yeah, season one. The part in the car. 
they're driving. Oh yeah, and the girl screams. Oh, dude, they got yeah, and then in the the um uh the funeral home when you see her oh in the background oh man that oh, <laughs> trip tripped me out but this is a good and the second one is 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 good it's just not as scary it's more of a more of a story mm. so um it's not as it's not as gory do they use because i saw the trailer for the for the second one do they use all of the same actors or is it just the one actor because i've only not saw all of them they know they use obviously um the guy the, the dad Luke. yeah oh do they okay um, they use the dad. They use um, Luke. They use the girl um, who was in You, and she's also in Hill House One, and she's the main character in mm. Hill House Two. And uh, there's a couple other. It's like another person that they use in that one. So yeah. okay, well, yeah. Sh- but I like that. I I like it, man. Good. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, especially this time of the year, man. I know, like that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know, there's we're less than a week away from Halloween, so maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll hold off on that and um, and just save it for next year. You know, yeah. Hopefully by next year there are three seasons. I think just watch two of them. Another one, yeah. I heard they're gonna they're gonna have another one. So yeah, I mean, it's a good that 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 first one. I thought it was really well done. You know, it was basically a ten episode good movie. Um, so I'm good with that, man. It's good. Mm-hmm. Netflix puts good, out good next stuff. I'm glad, I'm glad you watched it. I know you weren't too sure about it. Push through. I do. I, I struggle. I do struggle with sure. um, with anything involving you know kids you know being bummed right. out. So right. But I pushed through it, and I, I thought, it, like I said, at the end of it, I I thought it was kind of a happy story at the end of it, <laughs> um, which is interesting. It's interesting to have walk that parallel. Yeah. But anyway, um, I think we can end the episode there, man. You got anything else for the uh, for the crowd before we head it? No, man. Everyone, be good. Wash your hands, wear a mask. Wash your hands, wear a mask. Go out and vote. I'll say this. If you you complain about the country and you don't vote, then you're really just complaining about yourself. Hold people accountable. Vote. Boom. There you go. Be good. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Functional sports are all in. Sam and Sean, who they beat. Sports in real life. They got real lives. Better tune in every week. Don't miss the podcast. Cause you might get put on blast. And you know just what we call it. Functional sports holic. Yeah. Yo, sport addicts with real lives. Talking about real life, they real nice. Going cray on the Netflix late nights. And build an NBA, keeping the game tight. Repping the 407, Old Town. And nine fours when they met, now they hold it down. Talking life, talking real social issues. All lighthearted, so don't bring your tissues. And don't talk stupid, cause Sean might lose it. You love sports, this podcast strikes like Cupid. Taking road trips, why not just for kicks? Sean going global, you know why, YOLO And don't get him started on Gooch Givens They here to spit knowledge, no time for the dishes Aging like a fine wine, sipping in the kitchen Gray in the beard, got wisdom, so listen Functional sports are all in Sam and Sean, who they be Sports in real life, they got real lives Better tune in every week, don't miss the podcast you might get put on blast And you know just what we call it Functional sports and holic